You're listening to audio from Trinity West Seattle. For other resources, more information about this sermon series, or to connect with us, visit our website, www.trinityws.com. I'm going to pray for us as we get into this word, okay? Join me. Father God, we come to you as we do every week, just people with hands open, people with ears and hearts wanting to be opened to you to receive what you have to say to us today. And we pray that God, through Jesus' words, that you would not only allow us the grace to embrace what he has to say to us today, in every facet of our lives, embrace what he has to say to us, but also be changed by it, that we might be people who greater reflect the kind of forgiveness that you have offered to us in our relationships. We pray that that would be the case, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Some of you guys may have heard of the TV series Flight of the Concords. Anybody? Okay, good. I was, I was thinking like two people are going to raise their hand. I'm going to feel really awkward, but at least a few of you guys are going to get what I'm talking about here. So it's this two, these two guys from New Zealand uh, who did this show in the early, mid-2000s, and they write these comedic songs, and it's hilarious. It, of course, as uh, plenty of times, is completely inappropriate, so you'll have to use your own discretion on that one. But one of my favorite songs of theirs is a song called Hurt Feelings. It's called Hurt Feelings, and it's a rap, okay? So that doesn't sound like a rap, does it? Hurt Feelings. And of course, these two guys from New Zealand really have no business rapping, but they do anyway, and that's part of what's amazing about it. And it begins with this beat, and it's like, you know, it's kind of like this 90s gangster rap beat, and, and they're like trying to sound tough and, and big, and, and they go, some people say that rappers don't have feelings. We have feelings. And they're all mad, right? <laughs> Some people say that we are not rappers. We're rappers. It hurts our feelings when you say we're not rappers. (laughs) Some people say that rappers are invincible. We're vincible. That one is just like amazing. Uh, And then they go on to tell what they say are autobiographical raps, these stories where their feelings were hurt. And one of them goes like this. I make a meal for my friends, try to make it delicious, try to keep it nutritious, create wonderful dishes. None of them thinks about the way I feel. None of them compliments the meal. I got hurt feelings. I got hurt feelings. You guys might have heard this before. And then there's another story about how this guy tries to get all his friends to go to a movie with him downtown, and everybody turns him down. And then he goes to the movie, and he sees all of them there. So they'd all kind of ditched him and then come and done the thing themselves. And then probably my favorite one is this one. It's my birthday, 2003, waiting for a call from my family. And then there's this long pause, and then the song stops, and it says, they forgot about me. I got hurt feelings, I got hurt feelings. Okay, so these guys are making fun of how petty we can be, and how much we can let little, tiny, silly things affect us, how we're so easily offended, and yet... The reason why this is such a funny song is that there's actually a tinge of truth to it. 
Most of the examples that they give aren't just examples of being petty. They're also examples of situations that could really hurt. Why could they really hurt? Because they're events that happen in the context of close relationships. Because when something even somewhat small happens in the context of a close relationship, it actually says something about us. The closer that our relationships are, the more vulnerable our relationships are. The more trust and love that I give to you, the more it hurts when you sin against me. Obviously, the most extreme example of this is when we've been abused. Those who have wronged us by exploiting our vulnerability in the relationship. Now, the story I started with, that, that's a funny story because there's this rapper that's trying to sound tough, and he says that the day after my birthday is not my birthday, mom, right? And he's like mad about that. But we have to ask ourselves the question, what do we do when we're forgotten? What do we do when maybe something more significant, when somebody pulls in front of us in traffic or is rude to us at the store? What do we do when we're betrayed by a close friend? What do we do when someone you love insults you or degrades you? What about if your spouse cheats on you? Today, we're going to be talking about forgiveness, and we're not going to be talking about it in a vacuum. We're going to be talking about it in very tangible, concrete, everyday life terms. And we're going to be challenged to ask this question, do I have a forgiving heart? Do I have a forgiving disposition? And, and we need to think about this not just personally, but even on a societal level, right? Social media has inflamed what is already our natural gravitation as, a, as, a, as human beings, we watch and observe somebody on social media do something wrong, and then what do we do? We retweet how wrong it was, we form a digital mob, and we come after them, and we want that person to pay. We want them to pay. We all kind of stand back and, and point fingers as innocent bystanders, drawing conclusions about people on the world stage via social media threads. And we call that justice, usually. And to be fair, there are sometimes people who are so insulated by their own power that they need to be called to account in a very public way, and that can lead to justice. So I'm not saying that that's a bad thing, but our desire to pay people back for their wrong often goes beyond justice. And if we're honest, we usually expect what we would call justice for someone else, but we actually want mercy for ourselves, especially as it pertains and relates to our relationship with God. We can be self-righteous, and Jesus is going to challenge us today. He's going to both give us wisdom and the motivation to forgive. And the big idea that we're going to see in this text is that forgiven people forgive. Very simple. Forgiven people forgive. And forgiveness is a gift that comes from God. And it's a gift that we don't just receive, but it's a gift that we share. And today we're continuing 
as I said in this sermon series in the, called The Upside Down Kingdom, and we're in this portion of the Gospel of Matthew called the Sermon on the Mount, and this is Jesus' most extensive teaching that we have in the Bible. And what we've seen so far is that this teaching is not only extensive, but it's also very difficult. So today's words, as we encounter them, they will be difficult, but that won't be out of the ordinary. This is going to be par for the course. Let's see what Jesus has already said in the Sermon on the Mount in kind of loose relation to forgiveness, just so we can have a little bit of context for what, uh, what we're dealing with here. So far, he said things like, blessed are the peacemakers. He said, go and be reconciled. He said, do not resist the one who is evil. He said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And so these words that we're going to look at today are not out of the ordinary. They are completely par for the course, and they are exactly what we need. We need Jesus, our wise king, to come and to show us how to be human because we are broken and we live in a broken world. Let's dig into this beginning uh, in verse 14 and 15. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 6, 14 and 15. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Okay, so in light of what Jesus has said already, it's actually very easy to see how Jesus could say this, but it's not easy to understand exactly what he's saying, is it? Uh, But I want to come back. The big idea is forgiven people forgive But as we even look at that idea and we look at what we just read, we have to be real. We we have to be honest and say, how Jesus says what he says here leaves us with much more questions than it does answers. I'll give you some examples of things that you might have already had running through your head as, as that was read. Number one, does this mean that we won't be forgiven by God if we have trouble forgiving someone else? Is our salvation hanging in the balance? We might be thinking questions like that. Is God's forgiveness something that we can earn? Like, if I forgive this person, can I earn God's forgiveness through that? Now, if you have trouble answering those questions through the text that we just read, you're in good company. Uh, I usually, as I prepare for my sermon each week, I'll usually consult a number of different commentaries for the Sermon on the Mount. It's been especially difficult, so I've had like five different commentaries I'll go to every week just to kind of check, make sure I'm on track. I'm not like going off the rails or anything, right? And this week, uh, well, I'll say one more thing. Usually as I'm reading those, they've gone verse by verse through the entire book of Matthew, through the entire Sermon on the Mount, And they haven't skipped over anything. And we've covered some pretty hard stuff already, right? They haven't missed a beat. But this week, only one of them actually touched on these two verses. And and what it said was not real in-depth. In fact, uh, I had to go and consult some other commentaries just to try and see uh, some different perspectives. Why? Because this is hard. It's hard. 
And so don't feel like you're, you know, a substandard Christian if these verses trouble you, okay? Uh, And I did eventually find a couple of very helpful things that I'll share with you in just a second. But before I do, I think I need to clarify one more thing. As Western modern Christians, we have this tendency to read everything in the Bible as being about salvation. Salvation is just, it's the lens that we are taught to look through on in everything that we read in the Bible. And of course, we should care about salvation. It's incredibly important, right? It has our eternal destiny tied to it. But our obsession with salvation can actually lead us to asking the wrong questions if we're always looking for it. You might have heard that saying, if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail, right? And I think that's true in this case as it relates to salvation. The problem is is that we can miss the entire point of what Jesus is saying if all we're thinking about is salvation. Okay, with that caveat, I'm going to read you a couple little quotes from some guys that I found very helpful, and I think it'll help us to understand this more deeply. The first one is from New Testament scholar R.T. France. And so he says, The point is not so much that forgiving is a prior condition of being forgiven, But that forgiveness cannot be a one-way process. We can't just expect God just to forgive us. Like all God's gifts, it brings responsibility. It must be passed on. To ask for forgiveness on any other basis is hypocrisy. And I think personally, this guy nails it. Uh, He points out the fact that Jesus, this whole chapter 6 in in Matthew's gospel, has been talking about hypocrisy. And so he frames this within that context. I think it's super helpful. Other quote I want to share with you is from N.T. Wright. And I guess if you're a New Testament scholar, you have to have like, you know, uh, initials for your first two names or something. I don't know. Here's here's what N.T. Wright says. The heart that will not open to forgive others will remain closed when God's own forgiveness is offered. Okay, so people who don't want to forgive are that way because they aren't true recipients of forgiveness. They don't want forgiveness on God's terms. They only want it on their own terms. That's what he's saying. Well, neither of these two quotes ties the whole thing up with a bow and makes us feel like real peachy, right? It's not easy. And so what I want you to do is just read the two verses that we're looking at today, pray, ask the Holy Spirit to guide you and determine what you believe God is saying to us through Jesus' words. But don't, please, please, please don't let your entire faith hang on these two verses that Jesus says. Okay, don't let your whole view of salvation hang on two verses. My personal take is I can't see how you would not read Jesus' words at face value and see that it's an absolute must that we forgive those who sin against us to the point where we are literally rejecting God's forgiveness if we refuse to forgive someone else. And it's because of God's character and what he's done for us that he has such a high expectation on us, which makes total sense because being forgiven actually changes you. We might ask, okay, Jesus, but what about when it's hard to forgive? 
What about when it's hard to forgive? Well, unfortunately, Jesus doesn't offer any advice for how to forgive when it's hard. He just doesn't. But what he does do is he gives us a reason to forgive. Did you notice that? He says, because your heavenly Father will forgive you. Can you believe that? Your heavenly Father, God Almighty in heaven, will forgive you. This is incredible when you think about it. You can't ever just get completely used to this. You always have to uh, remain in a place of surprise that God would treat us this way. Because as sinners, we are eternally indebted to God. We're incapable of paying back what we owe to Him. And we are undeserving of being forgiven. And yet it is precisely those terms in which God comes to us and He shows us His grace and He forgives us. And it's in the light of how costly it is for Him to forgive us that we see how truly small the debts are that we are owed by others when they sin against us. That's actually the theme of a parable that Jesus teaches later on in Matthew's gospel. And I want to jump over to the parable of the unforgiving servant because I just think it beautifully illustrates the principle behind what Jesus is teaching us here. And to be honest, I think what Jesus says here can be easily misconstrued and confusing, whereas the parable of the unforgiving servant makes it pretty stinking clear. So let's jump over there, okay? We're going to go to Matthew chapter 18, and it's going to begin in verse 21. Let's look at this real quick. Here's what he says. Then Peter came up, to, came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. So Peter's feeling all pious. He's like, man, I'm going to get gold stars from Jesus here. How many times do I got to forgive my brother? I mean, I know you're going to say one. I'm going with seven, Jesus. That's the biblical number of perfection, right? And Jesus says, yes, that is the biblical number of perfection, but that's not enough. Times that by 70. In other words... How about you forgive your brother infinity times seven, not just seven times? So he's upping the ante here. And then Jesus goes on to explain this principle through a story, beginning in verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Okay, so a talent was a unit of measurement. It wasn't necessarily currency, but it was a unit of measurement that usually represented about 20 years' wages. And this is 10,000 of those that this man owes to the king. So think about this for just a minute. We're going to break this down, and we're going to give you a little chart. You You guys like spreadsheets and charts? This is going to help us understand the reality of this in our current day and age, okay? Check this out. So, so if the average household income is, uh, is $100,000 in Seattle, that's, that's true, multiply that by 20, I'm sorry, I've got it all out of order here the way I'm saying it, but, and then multiply that by 10,000, and you've got the amount that Jesus is talking about in today's terms. 
So you've got 10,000 talents, Seattle's base pay, $100,000 a year, length of time, 20 years, the total, and I totally miscounted this earlier this week, I was like, oh, it's $20 trillion, no, sorry, it's so many zeros, I lost count, $20 billion, okay, this one guy owes the king the equivalent of $20 billion, what's the point? The point is, is that this is an insurmountable amount of debt. He will never, in his life, repay it. Impossible. And what Jesus is doing here is he's setting up this analogy for sin. We talked about it last week, cosmic debt. Our sin makes us eternally indebted to God with a deficit that we cannot pay back. It's impossible. We cannot do enough good to make up for the bad. But Jesus is also about to reveal some good news to us, and that is that God is prepared to forgive that cosmic debt. Check this out, verse 25. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and a payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. Of course, we know he's never going to, even if he wanted to. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Friends, our situation before God is incredible. In some ways, it feels unbelievable, but we've got to believe it. We've got to believe it by faith. God has pity on us. God has pity on us. He is that merciful. You know, David in in Psalm 51, he said, my sin is always before me. My sin is always before me. Do you keep your sin always before you? Do you see how great it is? Comparable to $20 billion. Do you see how incapable you are of paying that debt? And then do you also see how much greater God's mercy is than that. We've got to do both, friends. We've got to keep our debt in front of us, but we've also got to keep God's mercy in front of us at all times. Do you do that? Do you do that? Christian, if you don't do that, you're going to encounter some problems. You're going to forget where you've come from like a hypocrite who fakes their relationship with God, you will grow more and more distant from reality. You will grow more and more distant from your indebtedness, and you will begin to think that you don't need forgiveness. You begin to think that you never needed forgiveness. And what's worse is then you'll begin to see yourself in regard, in relation to other people as somehow you are morally superior to them. You'll be able to spot all of their flaws and failures and sins while completely being blind to your own. And then you'll begin to treat other people 
as though their sin is unforgivable. Beginning of verse 28. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Now, a denarii was a day's wage for a common field worker. And it's saying that this guy was owed a hundred of those. So let's break this down again in Seattle terms. So he, he owed him a hundred. Now, Seattle, say a, a day laborer in Seattle, right, might make at best 20 bucks an hour, probably less than that. And they might work for around a long 12-hour day. And if that's the case, then we're talking about $24,000, okay? Now, that's not nothing, sure, but when compared to $20 billion, I mean, what are we, this is like apples and oranges, this is a, this is a drop in the bucket. And so we can assume then that this undeservedly forgiven servant will now, of course, forgive his friend, right? Wrong. Second half of verse 28. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. Wow. This is harsh, isn't it? I guess that that first servant was putting on a show when he got on his knees before his master. He didn't want to enter into a world of forgiveness. He just didn't want to have to pay his own debt. He was insincere in his pleading. If he had been authentic, then he would have been changed by the forgiveness of the debt that he owed. But he wasn't. And unfortunately, that's not how this works. You don't get to be forgiven without also extending forgiveness. And so his master is fuming mad. Verse 31, when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all, the debt, all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Forgiven people forgive. Forgiven people forgive. Forgiveness is a gift from God that we don't just receive, but that we share. And as with all of Jesus' teaching, we understand it in a much, much deeper way if we look at it in the light of his crucifixion and resurrection. In many ways, his teaching was like the preamble to the passion. That as we look at things through that lens, we, we begin to understand things more fully. Things begin to make complete sense after he rose from death. 
And through Jesus' crucifixion, we see that God didn't merely cancel our debt and count it as paid. He didn't just erase it on the ledger, but that Jesus paid our debt for us. He worked it off for us. All $20 billion of life that we owed to God, Jesus took care of it himself. And so unforgiveness, it says you must pay. But forgiveness says you deserve to pay. But Jesus paid it all. Unforgiveness says I am judge, jury, and executioner. Forgiveness says you are in God's hands. Unforgiveness says you are dead to me. And forgiveness says, Jesus is alive in me. And you can be redeemed. And there is hope for you. I'd like to share with you five myths about forgiveness as we close our time. I shouldn't say close. I've still got a few minutes. I don't want you to think we're, we're almost done here. <laughs> um, but I do want to share with you these five myths about forgiveness as we see in scripture, in story, and in experience. The first one is, forgiving someone means saying what they did was okay. I think this is a big hang-up for a lot of people. They don't want to forgive someone else because they think that what it means is saying that what that person did was okay. But is that what the Bible says? Was Jesus dying on the cross saying that our sin was okay? No. In fact, it was saying just the opposite. It was saying that our sin was so not okay that it cost him his life. And so knowing that this was the price that God was willing to sacrifice for us shows us both how not okay our sin is and how much more than that he loves us. And so when we forgive someone else, we're not saying that it was okay like, you know, kids on the playground, right? The teacher comes up and says, you say you're sorry to them. And then one kid like begrudgingly with an angry face like, I'm sorry, you know? And then the other kid says, it's okay, right? We know that that was totally good, right? They totally meant that 100%. No, we're not saying that. We're not saying that it's okay. We're saying that it was so not okay that Jesus had to die for it, to pay their debt. We don't have to make them pay. We're saying we don't have to punish them. Jesus took the punishment. I remember helping two friends walk through forgiving one another once. Uh, They were both younger women who had a common interest in the same guy. This doesn't go well usually, right? They were were good friends actually before this, and, and one of them ended up with the guy, in fact, ended up getting engaged to him, later broke it off after all this stuff shook out. But of course, the whole time, the other was jealous of them. And you can imagine the kinds of things that they said and did to each other in the middle of all of this. And in the end, they were able to forgive one another, not because it was okay what they had done to each other, but because of the incredible forgiveness that they had received from God for their own sin. Second myth 
that I want to share with you is that forgiving someone means not talking about it, okay? Now, I'm not trying to promote gossip, so that's not what I'm saying here, but we know that this isn't true. We know that sometimes we actually have to stop and think about what was done. We have to stop and take stock of what exactly we are forgiving, got to talk it out. Sometimes we need to talk it out with the person we're forgiving. Sometimes we have to go to a safe third party so we can process through it, and that is totally a good thing. I knew a couple whose relationship had been severed by adultery, and what we didn't do is sit them both down and say to the spouse who had been cheated on, "Now, all right, now you forgive them. No, it, it's not like that. It, it took a long time time. It took time to process through all of the lies, all of the betrayals that had been committed. And by the grace of God, the spouse who had been faithful forgave the spouse who hadn't at the end of all of it. And they did it because they knew what they were forgiving. It had been talked about and named Number three, myth number three, forgiving someone means reconciling with them. Forgiveness is not reconciliation. It just isn't. Reconciliation, biblical reconciliation, is two or more parties repenting and confessing their sin to each other and then forgiving each other. Reconciliation, we know, is not always possible because it requires the other party, the other person, to own their part. I once walked with a woman whose father and stepmom had horrifically abused her as a child, verbally, physically, sexually, some of the worst things that you could possibly imagine, things that I would love to forget, things that I know she has to live with every single day because she can't forget. And seeking, her seeking to reconcile with these abusers would not only be impossible, but it would be unwise. Why? Because they had never owned up to what they did as wrong, and they weren't safe people. The trauma of all of that past would not allow for it. So what did we do instead? We worked on forgiveness. We worked on forgiveness because reconciliation is not always possible, but forgiveness is always possible because of what God has done. Myth number four, forgiving someone is a one-time event. Once we've said the words, I forgive you, is that the end of it? I'm sure most of you here, if not everyone here, if you've ever forgiven someone, you know that you may need to forgive them again tomorrow when all the things that they did are brought up in your mind and your memory again. Forgiveness is a process. It's not this one-and-done thing. We don't just forgive and forget. As we were talking about this as a staff, uh, Nick brought up Lucille Bluth from Arrested Development. Anybody remember Arrested Development? Man, another great, hilarious show with plenty of completely inappropriate things on it as well. But Lucille Bluth is the proud and vicious mother of this wealthy family, and she's just an absolutely horrible person. But the show is, uh, it's, it's like really funny, but it's dark, dark humor. And one of her 
sayings, one of her quotes that she repeats throughout the show is, forget but never forgive. <laughs> Which if you understand the show, then you, you understand what she means. But can we, let's, let's turn that back onto what we would say, forgive and forget. Can we actually do that? We can't just forget that something happened, right? Even if we forgive as God forgives us. Because while he doesn't hold our sin against us, there's also no way that God forgets it, right? He, he's all-powerful, he's all-present, he's all-knowing, he's never-changing. God doesn't have some sort of holy memory loss, right? He can't forget in, in that sense. And so forgetting like God forgets our sin, which, by the way, the Bible does say that he forgets our sin, is actually relating to a person without holding their sin against them, without treating them differently in light of what they have done to you. Number five is the last one. Myth number five, forgiving someone means there are no consequences. I think this is probably the hardest one for people who have trouble forgiving. I think we think, oh, well, you know, if I forgive that person, that means that they're off the hook, and they don't deserve to be off the hook, so I'm never going to let them off the hook. And though we must guard against our desire to make someone pay for what they've done, there are many, many times that it is just and it is good for them to experience the real consequences of their actions. I mean, put it in uh, real everyday terms. The neighbor kid whacks your child with a toy truck, right? That has that happened? Okay, I think it's happened to probably almost everybody. It might be happening down in kids' ministry right now, okay, if we're honest, right? <laughs> and, and if that happens, your kid should forgive them, but the neighbor kid should also be disciplined, right? God doesn't treat forgiveness and discipline as mutually exclusive things. And I'll give you a far more weighty example and I want to end with this story because I think that it is such a beautiful expression of what Jesus is talking about here today. On June 17, 2015, in Charleston, South Carolina, a white supremacist attended a Bible study at a black church. And in a horrific hate crime, he murdered nine of them who he had just sat in a circle with studying God's word. And what, some of you might remember this, and you might have remembered what their reaction to that situation was, only, if I recall, a day or two after that occurred. Let's watch this quick video that tells the story. I think it does it way better than I could tell it. I was in tears this week watching that. Um, coming back to what we were talking about, forgiving someone does not mean that there are no consequences. And no one, including Jesus, expects that man to be released from serving his sentence for his crime. Justice is necessary. And nonetheless, what stands out from this story is that forgiven people forgive. Forgiveness is a gift that we receive from God, and we don't just receive it, but we share it. 
And in the light of how greatly God has forgiven us, we have the ability to forgive things that would have otherwise seemed impossible. God forbid any of us ever have to forgive anything even remotely as significant as these people just have. But what those survivors are showing us is the kind of forgiveness that's possible in light of the cross. It's possible, friends, in light of the cross. When we realize what has truly happened as a result of our Father's amazing love for us, it actually transforms our hearts. If you're struggling to release someone from the penalty of their sin against you, return to the cross of Jesus. And there you will find the strength, the motivation, and the joy of forgiving them. It is only there that we're able to go from this place of they have to pay for what they did to how can I not forgive? How can I not forgive? Can you picture, do you have a vision for how much, be- how much more beautiful a world of forgiveness is than a world that is full of unforgiveness? A father's world looks like the cross. It looks like putting an end to the harm that others have done by refusing to then add more to that strife and that punishment. It's a world that releases others into the hands of God rather than holding on to what they've done to us. And in the end, we have to ask the question, what kind of a world do we want to live in? Do we want to live in a world where unforgiveness reigns? If so, we're going to be living outside God's forgiveness to us. Or do we want to live in a world where God's forgiveness reigns. It's full of beauty and peace and love. That's the kingdom of heaven where Jesus is king. We're going to have three community group questions this week. Feel free to mix and match. Use any that are helpful to you to spark the conversation as you guys gather together. Again, if you're not yet in a community group, I want to encourage you to get into Disciple Equip, and at the tail end of Disciple Equip, you'll be invited to join a community group. Number one, is there anyone you need to forgive? Number two, what's been the hardest thing you've ever had to forgive? And number three, in what ways does the story of the unforgiving servant give shape to the degree in which God has forgiven us, meaning that $20 billion of debt. Is there anything God has forgiven you of that seems too good to be true? Let's pray and we'll respond to God together. Father, we come to you absolutely astounded that you would show us the kind of grace and mercy that you've shown us that you don't just erase our debt from the ledger, but Jesus, you have paid our debt. Thank you that that means that we are forgiven and we can know that with absolute confidence as your children, God. And we pray now, as we respond to you, would you continue to work in our hearts to allow us to reflect that forgiveness more and more and more. 
pray it in Jesus, your name. Amen. You've been listening to audio from Trinity West Seattle. For more information about our services or to connect with us, visit our website, www.trinityws.com. Thanks for listening.